0: Hello, and welcome to The Swim Brief. Welcome to Eric, uh, who's here. Um, Joel could not be here. He had to go to the dentist. This time, I'm not actually making up a weird story for Joel. I'm just telling the real excuse for why he can't be here.
1: How are you, Eric? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. He didn't say whether or not he was really upset that he had to go to the dentist over the podcast, so I'm kind of questioning his his dedication to our friendship. Um, yeah, it seemed like
0: he was very, it was a very, I mean, (laughs) dentist appointment, something you schedule well in advance. Yeah. It doesn't come up as a surprise.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully it's nothing too bad, but at the same time, it's like, I think he's just kind of skating us.
0: Yeah. Well, that would be normal. That would be normal. (laughs) Um, uh so i did promise that we were going to in my in in a youtube video that i posted yesterday that we were going to talk uh some more about um whether what what your heels do when you do a turn Um, but we want to save that conversation because you know joel we want him to be here for this conversation because a lot of people um, know that listening to somebody ramble for several minutes um often results in 10 percent kind of genius and that's that's the joel soup that we like to serve you um you just sort of like you go on a journey you don't really know what's happening and at the end you go oh wow i really did actually learn something from that um so we don't want to deny people that experience instead we're going to talk about when is the right time or what considerations you should have uh when you're changing your job as a swim coach um, we have a, a little a bit of an inspiration, um, in this week's news for that, um, Eric is, uh, just found out 10 minutes ago that he's going to be going off about, quote, perfect form, um, or perfect technique. You can use that trigger word for me. Um, and then I have a, uh, a bit of a rant that, uh, we'll see what Eric has to say in response to about the term accountability and the way people use it uh, as it relates to coaching. So first, you um, talk about this, the, the inspiration for this um, is an article that uh, Swim Swam posted earlier this week that the uh, Swimming Canada's High Performance Center hired an assistant coach. And like I always warn people not to do, Eric, I got down into the comments on a Swim Swam article and people were giving this guy basically a hard time. Well, there were a couple of things they were giving him a hard time for. I only want to focus on one. One of them was, you know, how could he walk out on his club team? He he coaches for Etobicoke, or he did coach for Etobicoke, which is uh, traditionally a very high level club swimming program in the Toronto suburbs, I believe. Um, And he's left that to take this job at the high performance center and people were like, well, it's October. You can't like leave a club in the lurch in October. And I I think I've seen a variation of this since the beginning of time um, with coaching job changes. It seems to me, I was saying to somebody yesterday that um, uh, uh, if you go by some people, there's very, very, very narrow windows of time where it's appropriate to change jobs Um, and uh, it's a little bit different for college than it is for a club, but there's these sort of narrow windows and then only if you gave massive amounts of notice. And it seems to me to be completely out of touch with like the actual process by which people change jobs or I don't know, live life. But what was your
1: reaction when when I
0: asked you to think about some of this?
1: I actually refer back to my own experience as a coach and leaving the team that I had my first head coaching position that I did, and there was a couple of situations where I was applying for jobs didn't you know didn't get any traction. Whatever it was, they the timeline fit better for um, club coaching as it was. You know, trying to get a collegiate assistant job is is an easier time to leave because you're probably leaving July, August, or you have the opportunity to work with the college to be like, Hey, I'm going to officially land in whatever city in early to mid August. So, um, I'll be able to start some stuff virtually, get all the paperwork done in July, do all the incidentally testing and then show up when it really truly matters. Um, but my situation came about when, um, I was leaving HLA. In Nebraska, and the the number of conversations that I had with people in, in making the jump, when I did, uh, was that there really is never a good time to leave. You know, there are perfect situations that would be amazing, but you really can't um, dictate anything within your own personal life and personal career because of you know the whole like it's. I don't know. The best way to say it is like, it's just the misconception of the greater good you put yourself, you continue to put yourself behind all of these other people that you do care about. You always end up pushing yourself down. And that has a lot of psychological implications too, um, let alone job possibilities. So I left um, in essentially left November 1st of a short course season for the club team that I grew up on, taking over the senior program um, for them. And the reality was, is I was shifting to a much narrower focus, something that I was really excited about. It was home. There was a lot of that stuff. But I was leaving November 1, um, which is kind of crappy. You know, the the people around you have to pick up for, for whatever it is. Now, the other side of that coin is that Um, When you leave in Nebraska November 1st and you leave after your fall focus season, right before the combined high school programs start. So I don't talk to any high school kids practice wise from the second week of November until they get back from, you know, their conference of championship and state meets in the middle to end of February. So my primary focus as the head coach Disappeared for what is that like eleven weeks or something like that? Thirteen weeks. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So that's that's kind of the long and short of it. There's never there's never a perfect time. You know, it simply won't come up, even if it is the situation that it is. Where, um, but you know.
0: Yeah, I mean I I think back to I, I you're making me think of a story of when I left a job and I think these stories like it is it is instructive because um it it does it does I I don't think anybody looks back like 5 years on a coaching change and goes, "Yeah, and that was really awful that he left in November." Like that it's a very immediate reaction, and and I think if you're getting like people are upset that you left a job, hey, look, I remember when I was swimming in college. This is my introduction to swimming at Colby College. Um, we had a meeting before the season even started. This is the opposite of what I'm about the point I was about to make. Um, and sorry, my my um, head coach called us all into a meeting, and I guess he had gone to interview for a different job. And he was really upset because people on the team had caught wind that he had interviewed for another job and thrown a party because they were so excited that he might leave. And I had no knowledge of this. Like I, I had not been on campus when this had happened, but he wanted to yell at everybody about it. I think that's the that's the opposite of the reaction you want when people like if people are celebrating your departure that's not a good sign for the relationships you had and on and the team. Don't bring
1: in the freshmen who've never experienced you. into you know, Don't tell party. them that you can yeah, don't tell talk anyone. to your captains.
0: Right. But, but, but anyway, but anyway, you know, like if people are really upset that you left, that's because they think you're a good coach or they had a good relationship with you. You know, you did your job well, essentially. Um, so that's, that's step number one. But a lot of people know, um this podcast know that i coached in denmark what a lot of people probably don't know is that the first job i had in denmark i was only there for three months i was on the job for three months before i changed jobs now um that is not how anyone draws it up on paper you don't move across an ocean to take a job and then leave it within three months but um i had agreed to this job actually far in advance of when I started it. It was at least like a six month period. I had signed a contract to do a certain job. And the job in the contract that I had signed was that I would be um, one of two coaches on the senior level of of the team. And um, in the intervening time, the team lost their age group coach. So they came back to me and they said, would you be willing for the summer to coach our age group team? Because that's actually where we need a coach here. And I was like, yes, I would be willing to do that. Um, Let's make a new contract. Let's put it on paper, right? Let's put it on that. I will coach the age group team for this three month period from when I land until the end of the year. And you can work on hiring somebody new to do that job. And then when the next year starts, I will do the job that I was, contracted to do. Um, And I got over there. And within two days, they had fired the person that I was meant to be coaching alongside with replaced him with a a Spanish man who could not um, could not formulate sentences in English and sort of thrown us together and said, you guys just figure this out. And we could not figure it out. I mean, communication was a massive issue. Um, it was extremely hard for us to figure it out. And by the end of the summer, they were saying to me, well, why won't you just continue doing what you're doing? And they were putting pressure on me to just say like, Hey, next season, you should just continue coaching this age group, part of the team. And I was sort of like, well, that's not what I signed up for. That's not what I moved across the ocean for. And you really changed a lot of the terms for me in the other way. So I left the job. I took a head coaching job somewhere else in denmark and i think the parts of this that are instructive that i that i that i come back to and this there was a coach that asked me this question and brought this article up to me and that's why we're discussing it on here today like if you don't think that every other person that is involved with your team will make the best decision for themselves at any given time or what they believe is the best decision for themselves at any given time you're kidding yourself okay That team, that board of that team, they obviously had some issue with the guy who had been coaching there. They wanted to replace him. So they hired somebody else. That's their right to do that. It's also was my right to say, this is not what I agreed to. I'm out. You know, swimmers leave your team when they don't like being on your team anymore. It doesn't work for them. And they want to do something else. They leave your team. They don't go, oh, you know what? It's October. It's not a good time to leave the team or it's November is not not really appropriate for me to leave at this juncture. So I think coaches on, on the front level, they set themselves up with an impossible standard. I must be perfect or else I can't expect anybody else to be good. Yeah. <laughs> right. And it just doesn't make any sense. You have to um, when it comes down to your career, you have to make decision for yourself
1: yeah
0: and but like okay so but that leads me to my next question because I'm interested in what your answer is I think you're a person um, one of the reasons I like having you on here Eric is you have a high moral character so like what what okay if we say this is a personal decision what goes into that personal decision as a coach like what kind of considerations were you making when you said I would like to go somewhere else. I'm going to make a change. I'm going to make a change when it's good for me. What kind of criteria did you use?
1: Um, you know, the, the biggest thing was with the situation that it was, Is it, it in my mind, in the situation, it had to feel like it was a step up or an opportunity to be a step in the right direction to move on and move forward. So there were a lot of other circumstances in and around being a head coach in Lincoln, Nebraska, that were disadvantageous for some of the stuff that I would like to have done. Um, some of that, you know, is on me. And now looking back, I could have done a better job here, or there. But hindsight's twenty twenty. Um, but you know, the reality is, I felt like there were some limitations on on some of the things that I wanted to accomplish, and this move to Wisconsin was to be quite honest with you, to not be a head coach, but to be a part of a collaboration of other full-time coaches. I was the only full-time coach for HLA. I was responsible for all of the wet decisions, which I didn't mind. And I had a lot of, I had a lot of say on all the dry side. I had one of the few situations where anytime you hear a club coach talk about a good board situation, I had a really good, healthy board situation. I had a lot of professionals and educated people who realized they weren't swim experts and they weren't going to get into some of that stuff. Just help them understand. In any event, I digress. Um, but but looking at at going to Wisconsin, I had a like I said, I had a, I had a narrowed field of what I was working towards. Um, I had the opportunity to work with. a a head coach, so I was no longer the head coach, but we were going to essentially collaborate and be a unit moving forward because I was the only one on the staff with head club coaching experience. So between my nine years and his few years there, we were going to have something unifying. And this was a sleeping giant. This was an opportunity to take this club as it was, which was really great on the age group side. And there was a lot of turmoil and changeover on the senior side. So this was another situation for me to help the club that I grew up on and move in a direction that it was. So I just, I had, I had different access to pool time, more pool time, not pool time, you know, during the high school season in Nebraska, your, your pool time starts after the high school practices end. And yeah. Because of the other groups that they would take priority, there were. A, it's gotten worse since I left. So there were times where, you know, our our age group program was starting practice at eight thirty. Our top and group I, was like eight thirty, yeah. and I wouldn't make them go to ten. So we go eight thirty to nine thirty, or it would be eight to nine thirty. You know, the right. current team has got sometimes where they start at nine. You know, which again, club hockey has to deal with that, but it's not right. something that we're necessarily used to. So. Uh, it was just an opportunity to, and then the other thing too, along with that, it was looking at the schedule and looking at the situation, not having to have to be at every meet session. I was going to look at a possibility of increasing my quality of life and some of the experiences that go with that. So, uh, I would still be on deck, you know, four times a night, whatever it is, but I'm there for a senior session, you know, and that's it. I don't have to be there prelims in the middle and then at night on big invite weekends. I don't have to do a 45 hour weekend anymore. You know, it's stay through warm up to, to talk to age group kids. But that, you know, that's just the the connectivity. So I'm hoping that kind of answers the question. If there's anything that's missing from it, you know, certainly kind of go back and and touch at it. But, you know, one thing I will touch on when you talked about, you know, people will always make the best decision for themselves. I think a lot of coaches would do a, a, a bit of good for themselves and maybe speaking to somebody that they trust within the corporate world, because as I've now been in the corporate world for three years, like people leave jobs for other situations and it's literally right. just next man in. Everybody else kind of yeah. has to pitch in until they fill in that, that position, but nobody is taking it personally because that person is bettering their situation. All of the parents that were really like rah-rah me and in my corner and were, I mean, both very positive and supportive, but also holding me accountable, you know, the, the next section that we talk about, they were disappointed, but they got it. Like it was the first thing that they said was congratulations. On this new yeah. opportunity, it wasn't like yeah. you're you're letting down my kids and you're gonna the right. team's gonna be in shambles. Whatever it was, that wasn't the case, and, you know. And I actually yeah. did work the first month I was gone. I helped because we were hosting a meet in the third week of November on the age group side. So I still processed entries. I still worked with the board that was trying to organize the meet because I was so much in charge of it. I was a, as the meet director, so it was just. You know it's if if the situation wasn't the way it was i would never i would have been like november one peace out but yeah great people yeah. around me so
0: yeah i i would say the considerations that and you this answer has probably changed actually i know it's changed over time so i'll tell you where i'm at right now and that this de- doesn't necessarily 100 percent relate back to the story um that I had, I, I basically have three considerations. Maybe it's three and a half if we get into it. Um, and some, some people might blend this, you know, some of these into one, you know, like uh, we all have our own categories. Anyway, my, and these are in rank order, <laughs> I will say. Um, my number one consideration is my own health. Um, you know, I have people who listen to this podcast know, um, that I have, um, had a lot of ups and downs, um, health-wise and the where, where I'm at in 2022 is I know I have to prioritize myself and my own health in order, if I don't do that, I cannot be at my best for everything else I value. Like I, I can't. Um, so I know that I have to place some weight on that first. Um, The second thing that I prioritize, and I I would suggest this is expansive even to people who may not necessarily think that they have families, but definitely the lifestyle of my family as it relates to what I'm doing professionally. I have a wife, I have two kids. Maybe, you know, you're not married. I know you're not married, Eric, like you don't have kids, but you still have, you still have a family and you still have relationships that are important to you, right? In, in almost a familial way. So, you know, making those, um, feeling like you're in a good place with those and that you're placing an appropriate value on those and that, you know, some sort of change that you're making might have comparative advantages to your current situation as it relates to, I'm doing scare quotes for those who are Uh, listening in podcast form, your family um, or your family, you know, I think that part of it is really important. The third category, this is where I get into kind of a half. I think it's, it's a bit of, do you feel like you or, or really like the, the, the place that you're working is progressing you know, that there's some sort of growth in what you're doing, you know, are you having an impact on the people, um, within your program and is that impact being valued? Right. Are um, it, cause I think I, I add that second part because I do think there's a lot of coaches out there. They're making a huge impact, but they're not necessarily feeling valued. Um, within that environment or or maybe even being valued. <laughs> you know, I think there's even a gap between feeling feeling and being right. So um, that certainly I think is, is something to take into consideration. And you got to look at those categories and say, you know, if, if you have an opportunity to take better care of yourself, take better care of the relationships that are most important to you and you feel like it's a progression somehow in what you're doing that's a slam dunk in in terms of changing things and you probably don't even you, maybe if just one of them improves and the other two stay the same you have to consider it because opportunities come and go they don't just sit there waiting for your perfect time to seize them you know they they come and then you have a limited amount of time where you have to make a decision whether or not you're going to seize that opportunity or not
1: right yeah 100 percent. so <laughs> no it's like i'm looking at it now in, in my sh- complete shift out of coaching and my last my last two changes uh were situations that you know not great but no. the last one really ended up being uh a giant silver lining like the the size yeah. of this silver lining um, cannot be, be understated because now I I've been able to, to kind of right the ship emotionally and, and recover from, from coaching and, and the way that I thought about my own coaching and, and my own experience and stuff like that. And, uh, I now have an opportunity where I work hundred percent remote. So that, that allows me to still be in touch with the sport but then be able to just kind of have a a schedule that in, in a pace that that works for me. And like you said, family, I don't have a wife, I don't have kids, but I still do have a family. And when it comes to holidays during coaching, what used to be an all out sprint to go home for Thanksgiving and Christmas. And it was literally like flying out Tuesday night, flying back Sunday or flying back Monday morning to be there for Monday night practice because I work remote and I'm getting my job done, you know, this November, I'm going to be home for 11 days and I'm going to right. be working remote for part of it. But I am going to be able to spend 11 days back home during Thanksgiving, which is huge. I get to see all of my family that's still in Wisconsin and just um, be somewhere else for a bit and still manage my job and, you know, fill out my TPS reports and, and get all that stuff figured out. And, you know, i have the same opportunity for Christmas, which never would have had in coaching. And some people value that and some people need that and some don't. But this is kind of where I am right now. And it's it's fantastic. So, um, yeah, it's, it's it's what was needed. And I hope more coaches realize that uh, they do have to put some of those other priorities other than that badge of I'm always there for these right. people and I will always make the decision. That is best for the team, which in reality, the best decision for the team could be you getting out of town for a few extra days and letting your your assistants have the opportunity to step up and show that they can run the team. So maybe you actually can have a a real vacation when it fits in time for your vacation and not within the context of a season. Obviously, don't be during championship season. There's nothing wrong with going away in May when it works for your wife and your kids, Chris, and be like, this, yep. this, this vacation means I get to stay married and I, get, right. to, I get, <laughs> to get to keep seeing my kids. And that's, and that's more important. Right. So. Yep.
0: Priorities. Yep. Um, yes. Okay. I think we've talked that one all the way through. Um, listeners of the podcast may not know, um, because you can't see our incredibly impressive physiques over um, the internet. But Eric and I are both amateur bodybuilders, and we share articles with each other. Eric likes to send me articles from a particular site that he visits often. Um, But I think the one that you sent me today has implications well beyond our amateur bodybuilding and into just like the world of doing anything, really. Um, and it's all about, um, well, I'll, I'll, sort of actually, why don't you summarize the article sure, and then I'll respond. Sure. So for those of you,
1: those of you who are interested, um, it's a little bit along the lines of the dates and plates, just with a bit more science and like very dry situations too. Um, the website yeah. is, uh, t t t nation.com. And it is a lifting and bodybuilding site. Now they do have some conflicts because they sell supplements, so they do kind of, push some of the articles sure. that they have, but everybody's got to make money yeah, somehow. Yeah. Right. yeah. But the biggest thing that I like about this, this is that they, they cite scientific research and they are not afraid to admit that some of the scientific research doesn't have a control. It's not the gold standard. There are some anecdotal stuff. Here's where some of the pitfalls of this information is, or it's like, Hey, this involves animals, but you can't completely discount some of the the biological responses to some of the stuff because yeah. we all are still animals. But the article that I shared today was from one of their, um, like certified strength and conditioning specialists. A lot of these guys have masters and some even have PhDs, um, the inconvenient truth about perfect form. And he, this, the author goes on to talk about some of the pitfalls of being too obsessed with technique and not really thinking about, um, just the situations where that might not, be, need to be there, or the situation, right. you know, the, the situations or, or the implications of of not having perfect perfect technique, and what you need to understand in the short term versus the long term. So it was if you can find a way to read this article and associate it with the swimming world, which is I know we're gonna we're gonna talk about. Um, and one of the things that came up into my mind and in, in, in going through this was, and one of the references that he had was was some coach that was making somebody do a lot of Olympic lift lead up for six months with a broomstick. And that immediately took me into the world that was total immersion. So any oh. of your, any of the listeners here who are too young for the total immersion fad, um, it was basically everything about being slow and completely perfect and, and not a whole lot of, I mean, it was, it was, it was, it took, It was way beyond USRPT like it was just it was a lot of slow movements a lot of drills not a lot of effort not a lot of intensity and that was supposed to be enough to really get you to where you need to be and uh, in the meantime everybody was swimming past you, even though you were looking so perfect. So, but right. yeah, I mean, that's the big thing. And I guess I'll just let you kind of go into what some of the stuff that you wanted to, to ask or talk well, more about.
0: Well, it's a very time. I will just say a couple comments. It a very timely message. I'm going to be coaching Dryland land tonight. Um, we've just started doing Dryland in the coach, the group that I coach here at Wahoo's um, Synergy Dryland, which is uh, Katie Hoff and Todd Anderson um, provide programming for us. Uh, shout out to them and uh so i'm not designing any of the workouts um and i am essentially alongside the kids learning some of the movements that they're doing um in 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 the given workout and i definitely when i get out of the pool i am vulnerable to this um phenomenon of like obsessing over the way that athletes yeah you too i know you are yeah we're we're self we're definitely self-critical i think in this respect like there where i just i i really i i want them to do it perfect before they touch a weight and um you know i have some memory of like attending a um nick folker dryland talk 15 years ago and him being like i don't let the guys at cal squat until they have you know like clear all these benchmarks and I've been like, yeah, yeah, I yeah. totally agree with that. Like, and you know, like I imagine myself as this little mini Nick Fulker, you know, holding sort of the same standards. And I think of course, the value of that, um, the core value of that is good. Right. I mean, you, you want people yeah. to, to pay attention to what they're doing, about being to, be careful, safe. to be thoughtful, to be safe in everything that they're doing, but you can like, you can have too much of a good thing you can come in there and just start obsessing and you know i i i am noticing the the contradiction in my own coaching through this article where sometimes i come to practice and i see kids like swimming in that style where i can tell that they're really just trying to i say i call it techniqueing because i don't like the term technique so that's a derogatory term with me they're trying to swim so carefully and so pretty, I say, you know, it's not a judged sport. It's just not, it's not diving. It's not figure skating. We're going to swim to the other end and we're going to see who's fastest. Right. Okay. And, and so at a certain point, you do have to let go um, and go. And I, I, I can see, I guess, through this, I have more comments than questions. Um, I can see through this article how probably there's a lot of coaches out there too have trouble letting go enough especially when they're out of the pool and they're a little bit out of their comfort zone right and they want to make sure they've heard so much like i know i've been inundated on the dry land side i've heard so much about what i shouldn't do that's bad this is bad and i don't necessarily have the full knowledge um skill set at any moment to push back and say like well like look that's kind of an overly general statement that you know i don't know whatever movement is bad or whatever way of strength training is bad, you know? So I just sort of go like, all, all that sinks into my mind is like, bad, don't do, <laughs> right? Yeah. And then at a, a certain point, you can't do anything. Yeah, Yeah. you're just paralyzed. You can't you're like, well, we can't set foot in the weight room because everything that can happen and there's too many bad things that can happen. Well, no, right? We, we know that's not true on a basic level that um, it does help uh, to cross train for sports. It does help to, to do, um, stuff outside of sort of the general athleticism is a good general athleticism is a good thing. Yeah. Anything else you want to add on that?
1: Oh, I mean, I guess the biggest thing, and maybe this is something we could even link for, for, for coaches and to be able to look at it because it is, it is a good resource. And then there, um, as far as, what it is because it makes you think about some of the things that maybe you see in dry land that are okay, or some things that you see in the pool where you, your natural inclination is to just stop the athlete and correct the, the incorrect movement. But then it, you start thinking about, well, so let's just take, for example, on the dry land side, which is something a lot of us maybe even have, we don't even realize is when you have athletes with scoliosis, such a huge thing, you know, and it's, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, maybe their hips do shift to the side, but maybe that's the best they can do And allowing them to do that with the idea that it's, it's currently safe for them until they're able to like navigate all that because they may not be done growing yet. And there's going to be a time where, where some of that stuff can be addressed. Obviously you want to make sure you defer to the professionals and how much weight that gets brought into it. But scoliosis is, is one of those things where you, You're not a professional. You have to just, you know, they're not hurting themselves. Everything's okay. Um, Yeah, you know, and the same thing with with the pool. And some kids just don't have the range of motion yet. Just take a step back, breathe, and realize like whatever they're doing. If it's if if they're not squatting deep enough, but their heels are on the ground and their knees aren't traveling past their toes, they're working on it. As long as they're focused, they're working on it, And, and just give swimmers the benefit of the doubt that they are trying and that if you want to have a conversation with them it's like what do you try to do they might actually be able to articulate It's like well my ankles are super tight i can't really do this so this is how i'm able to navigate it and get the proper setup and the proper movements and stuff like that so um and then on top of that like you said since we're amateurs it does talk about what to do with um you know, with yourself as an older athlete and realizing that maybe you don't need to lift five or six times a week because you're not 21, you're 41 and and yeah. and that kind of thing. Because you could be running into some of your athletes who are 17, 18-year-olds that don't recover like 14s. And even though 18-year-olds recover quickly, they don't recover like they used to when they're 14. So just having a, a little bit better understanding of, of everything in totality versus just like you said, this is wrong. This is is like safety focused on exercise is One thing kids just might not be where they need to be now versus where they're going to be in the future is okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think extremely well said. And you like you're, you're ringing my bell because, um, people who know me know I am extremely dedicated to working out um, almost maniacally. So in terms of like being consistent with doing it, and even um, last year I was doing five days a week and it was five days in a row. And I think I probably could still do five days in a week just if it wasn't five days in a row. But you know, like uh, when we get to the weekend and uh, you know, that's my time to spend, referring back to our earlier conversation with my wife and, and kids, like I don't want to go leave everybody another time to go work out. Yeah. So I it sort of the weekends were off bounds, and I just had to accept that four days a week
1: was better. Yeah. And it is better. Yeah. In about, <laughs> it, about, it is better. In about three years, you're gonna be like, oh yeah, yeah, it's three days a week. Yeah. It's definitely definitely not better. I did that to myself. It cost me last summer. I was it ended up costing me months to try to recover from elbow yeah. issues, and I'm finally yeah better with it. So. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, as I, as promised, I want to get to this final topic. Um, it, it, it is just something there's, you, you have little things that are floating out in the ether. I think we call this grinding my beans. You know, there's things they float out in the ether and they get underneath your skin and they just start bothering you. And for me, you know, I start thinking about why it bothers me. Um, and, um, at, when it gets at least uh I get at least halfway to understanding then I talk about it on the podcast um I, I don't I don't bother to go all the way um because I'm trying to teach myself to to you know work through things before I before they're perfect referring back to our last topic so um I I am bothered a lot uh of a lot of what I see discussed in coaching circles using the word accountability. Um, I think that accountability, uh, I don't really remember when it became a coaching buzzword, but it's somewhere in the course of my coaching career. Maybe it always has been, you know, maybe, but, um, I feel like it it grew in popularity and it sort of had some ebbs and flows. Um, it's something I, I read recently popped up with it. And I think that, um, a lot of the people who are using this language, I think they're missing a really crucial point. When I see people communicating about this term accountability, usually the framing of it is you're a coach, you have athletes um, and you want them to take some individual responsibility for what's going on in their practice, right? Um, but often I find it's been applied to their results in the course of the practice. And the implication is that athletes are not necessarily taking accountability. That is, they don't have a high standard for themselves in practice, and therefore they are not successful because they lack accountability or they lack a high standard for themselves in practice. I think... In many, many cases, this is wrong. I think it's wrong. I think that much more commonly what I see from athletes is that they have a high standard for themselves and um, they, A, don't want to communicate it because they're afraid of um, how other people might respond to them, communicating their standard. If they communicate their standard to their peers, then every time they're failing to meet those standards, they're going to um, feel that social pressure from their peers. They're afraid to communicate it to their coach because you know. And when they finally let their coach know what they want to accomplish, then coaches, you know, all over them like white on rice about trying to accomplish it because that's what coaches do, right? And they're, they're they're they don't know how to emotionally how to deal with that situation. I think that's one of it and then so that but they still have that high expectation for themselves and when they're failing on it they don't feel good and it's causing them to pull back from trying as hard as they can they're losing confidence in themselves Um, so this is a process i see over and over again and so i see people going like i've created this system where kids will know like when they're not meeting the standard or whatever and I want to just say, they know, they know, like they know they're not meeting the standard. And by the way, many of them probably have a, an even higher standard that that they're not meeting. That's not to say that some kids couldn't raise their standards, of course. There's instances of that. But I don't think um, it's as one-sided and one-dimensional as I see it commonly presented. That's my rant on accountability.
1: Yeah. No, I... No, I, I, I agree. It's like, it's that fear. It's the fear of failure, right? For sure. You know, it, it's no matter how many times you, you know, with the platitudes and the, the memes that are out there, the people speaking about, don't think about anything negative. Just think about the positive. Everything's an opportunity. Don't get me started on that no, stuff. No, yeah, I know. Being an hour and a half podcast. It's just like, no, when, when, I, hear you, when I hear you speak to that stuff, Um, yeah, the, the one thing that I hear that's missing, and this is being able to reflect on my own life as a coach is not, not being there for those athletes to help them with the emotional part of it, to help them understand it. Now I don't have, you know, that's where somebody like you comes in. I'm trying to plug you, you know, with uh, the positive psychology, a, a fair bit more background in how to help an athlete navigate that situation and maybe you don't even have to go to some of those lengths but just having an understanding or like you like we talked about with uh the dry land stuff giving them the benefit of the doubt that they do have a high standard but in that moment they don't know how to deal with it so it's in the moment it's easier to just back off and not feel that embarrassment and not feel that fear than it is right. to just completely wallow in it you know, and that's really, really difficult. And the other thing that don't necessarily see with all coaches, but it happens more often than we all care to admit, is that having an unrealistic expectations of an athlete on a day-to-day basis. And what we're talking about is mental and emotional exhaustion and physical exhaustion. Like, there are just some coaches who don't understand if a kid comes off a day at school where they've had three tests and two quizzes, and if they're being driven to practice by a parent and then it's a 20 minute drive in the entire 20 minutes, that parent grills them about their three tests and their two quizzes. So they've been in a desk for eight hours through right. three tests and two quizzes and a 20 minute interrogation. And then they walk through the door and they are supposed to be excellent. Like, and when you hold them to too high of an expectation, given that kind of a day, it is awful. Like, it is such a hard thing to deal with as a student athlete. And you have somebody who you look up to and you revere as your coach and you're letting them down as an athlete. And it's just a miserable experience that could easily have been avoided with like a two minute conversation. You know, I watched you walk in the door. You seem a little low. How did today go? And it's like, well, this, this, this happens. Then you say, let's reevaluate today's expectations. Let's give honest efforts. And that's the star. That's the gold star that you've earned today. Just honest effort. That's it.
0: Yeah. See, I, I I hear you on that and I think
1: there's probably a
0: lot uh there's probably a lot of people that that would be a positive step in the right direction from what they're doing. But what I what I see is and the one, one part I want to push back on is I actually think um it is possible to still hold an athlete to a high standard in that situation. Yeah. However, However, I agree. Right. Not not. I know you agree. So so I just want to make sure it's clear for everybody listening on the podcast. I know you agree. But what I see is, and if we go back to the 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 way that I discussed this, that um, what I see is fear is the greatest motivator. And so when we when we analyze this situation, oftentimes what you have with the athletes, like as I described them, that what's holding them back from giving their best honest effort is the fear of letting themselves down and letting you down and what i see so often as a coaching technique is i will try to override that fear with a greater fear i'll put an even worse fear on top of it you know like i'll preemptively sort of scream at you or or intimidate you in some way that like you are going to let me down if if you don't if you don't try your hardest right now and that long term i think leads to bad consequences in coaching so it is possible to hold to a high standard but we have to find a way to um instead of sort of overriding that fear with a greater level of sort of negative response we have to supplant we have to provide some positive motivation we have to provide some other thing that can override that fear and that's extremely hard right as i said fear is the best motivator so you don't can you can't meet fear with like an equal dose of inspiration you probably need five times as much inspiration as as somebody is afraid to actually get them over the hump of doing something and being at their best even in an adverse situation and that's that's the part that's super hard
1: yeah yeah you can't yeah. i just the, the first thing that comes to mind is you can't you can't go you can't raise it to chase by bears you, can't, you know you can't yeah you can't take yeah, what uh, it is uh, it's like i'm gonna put and after all
0: here. you run out yeah like after a while you run out like you can't make it any scarier yeah like you know like there there is a limit to that
1: yeah and they'll crack um, and you'll see it in the middle of practice or you'll never see them again like that's one right. of the things they'll, they'll take their right. money and go, they'll go elsewhere. Right. And they'll, they'll grow up to be adults
0: and say, Oh, that was a horrible experience. I yeah. Yeah.
1: That's the last doing that, which won. is not what any of us want
0: for the sport of swimming. We want kids yeah. to, I, I know I, at least, um, you know, my dream as a coach is that some kid looks back on their time with me and says, wow, like, yeah, you know, I didn't think I could do this, but coach inspired me. And like, I, I rose to the challenge and I found out something new about myself and, what an amazing experience I had doing the sport, you know? So, and I think both coaches feel that way. Um, And and, uh, so this is an interesting challenge and I hope um, everybody that's listening, you know, I hope uh, if you have thought about the same topic, I hope to hear from you um you could definitely comment on the YouTube page this is where I'm transitioning to the plugs Eric I'm getting so much better at it you can comment on the YouTube page you can like and subscribe you can subscribe to us um on iTunes thank you to everybody that already has um again the audience seems to be growing so I'm I'm really grateful for that and um love I mean it just makes it uh, more fun uh when we know somebody's know somebody's listening if you want more positive psychology based content uh Instagram Christy underscore coach dot com, Chris coaching on Facebook. Um, you can reach out to me via my website, Christy coach dot com. And um, Eric, thanks for another great week. Yeah.
1: Thanks, Chris. It was good. Okay.
0: See you next week. Bye.